Hey everyone, and welcome to the House Conspiracy Podcast, a show about the house and on the house. I'm Jonathan O'Brien, and I'm the founding creative director at House Conspiracy. Today I'm talking with Rachel Wellish. She's an artist, a mom, and someone who's lived in a bunch of places, particularly Dubai. Now, today's discussion might feel like it's in a bit of two parts, partially because of just how fast we pivot from Rachel's life to Rachel's art in terms of how we focus our conversation, but... I promise there's there's sort of a way to frame it as more cohesive than it might appear. Um, Everything Rachel says sort of in reference to Dubai and her life overseas can in some way be viewed as an inspiration for one or another element of her practice, which she discusses in the second half of this show. It's actually really cool um, how cohesive this interview ends up being, if only the the turn had sort of been executed a little bit more and signpost better on, on my part. But... Now, before we begin, uh, just some regular housekeeping. You can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, and you can visit us at houseconspiracy.org to learn more about our artists and to see how we can support you. Now, on to the show. Rachel's studio has a set of very professional-looking stainless steel hanging tracks a few centimetres below House Conspiracy's pressed tin ceiling, six total. From these tracks, old fabrics dyed in indigo hang in patterns approximating a landscape. Rachel talks a lot about this process and these materials in the interview that follows, but what you need to know is that until relatively recently, Rachel considered herself a painter. Her practice with... Indigo dyeing is meant to be, in part, a continuation, a three-dimensional and space-oriented version of that painting practice. And you wander into her studio and you understand this almost instantly. You weave through the gaps in the fabrics and you have a sort of textural experience that you'd imagine having if you inhabited for a moment or two a monochrome impressionist painting. It's beautiful and um, the immediacy of smell and movement augmenting the experience is elevating. Rachel Wellish creates experiential art at its finest. And now, I give that to you. Here's Rachel Wellish. Um, one of my daughters, my daughter's at Seven Hills. Yep, and, yep. And um, it was a, somebody in the class who went over to show because... It goes through to year 12, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, um, yeah, they just introduced the uh, primary school element after I left, um, which, you know, is a choice because I, I don't know about going through all, um, all 12 year years of high school, in, of school, school in one place. That sounds like a little bit of a nightmare to me. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I, we moved around a lot when we were kids as well, so... I went to a bunch of different schools, but I don't want that for my daughter. My husband and I both, we moved around a lot and we've still got the gypsy in us. So um, we are trying to settle down. I was saying before, we've we've chosen Brisbane and I love it. So it's kind of, it's curious for me talking to people who are from Brisbane. Um, so you grew up here. Yeah, I grew up here, yeah. yeah. So when did, when did you move to Brisbane? Uh, mm, three and a half years ago. From Darwin, so we we lived in Dubai and then Darwin, so we can't go any further south now because it's too damn cold. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. Wow. Okay. What were you doing in Dubai? I was working as a um, a stylist uh, for TV commercials. I did a couple of weird, dodgy films, but um, yeah, mostly mostly just commercial stuff. What defines a weird 
dodgy film? There was this Italian film and, I mean, it was kind of odd. The I didn't read the like script or anything because I was just like rushing around getting like props and things. But, yeah, it seemed um, uh, poorly put together and it was kind of like a meant to be a gangster, an Italian gangster film. Uh, and they were running into a lot of trouble because they wanted to film certain elements that the Dubai government weren't comfortable with or happy with, the idea of gangsters and prostitutes in Dubai is um, <laughs> frowned upon. Yes, yes, so, in a sort of very censored Yeah, exactly. UAE. S- Dubai's in the UAE. That's yes, it, yeah. yeah. It's super censored. Um, I had a baby there and it was like you go to buy pregnancy products mm-hmm. um, or like, you know, anything, a magazine or um, something, and the like there was an outline, like just a drawing outline of a breast and a belly and it's like got a text mark on it there's a whole government department um that have big black markers and they ruin magazines <laughs> <laughs> so blacking out like i don't know amy winehouse's bum crack or um mm-hmm. uh, art magazines are destroyed completely yeah they um, would be yeah so i mean a lot of it wouldn't come in anyway but even if there's a you know anything sort of naked they're just big black text marks over <laughs> the top of it so. Was having a child over there a, a part of why you decided to move away or? Uh, no, it was coincidental. It was 2008, um, financial crisis um, hit and it was kind of really unstable. It was a really weird time to be in a place like that because suddenly like 2,000 people would be um, let go from working at HSBC or Citibank or something like that. And you can't bounce a check in Dubai or you'll be arrested. So people would just split. They'd get, get get whatever assets they could and just leave. So suddenly, like, people were, like, you know, leaving their car, the keys on the dashboard at the airport and just gone. Um, so it was, it was, yeah, it was unstable and strange. And then, coincidentally, we'd had a baby and... Um, I couldn't work when I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um uh, for a few reasons. Yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, we just, it was coincidence then my husband got offered a, a job in Darwin and we were already used to the heat, so we thought that would be, <laughs> that would be okay and we moved back. So, yeah, we kind of, it was it was timing, mm. really. I, I There's definitely the kids that I knew, the people with families, the kids had a, um, We everybody in Dubai does, has like a, um, a, you know, a service mentality, you know, in that we didn't have a maid, um, but most people do. Yeah, same um, as Singapore. Yeah, exactly, and and Hong Kong and lots of places do. And, I mean, it's – when I was pregnant, my next-door neighbour's um, uh, maid, you know, lovely Ethiopian lady came and said, please, madam, can you take my cousin as your, your maid now that you have a baby? And I was like, oh, I'm not going to take a baby. She's like, she didn't – believe me you know <laughs> she, she was like no please please and I was chatting to her and um she, she was just you know I had had a certain judgment about she the maids kind of live in the you know on a she was on a stretcher cot in the laundry um and I was like you know I'm not really comfortable with the whole yeah idea of that and she's like in my country we don't have a room we don't have food we you know this is what we need and I was like okay yeah I get that 
So I, I didn't have a meet, but um, even though Dubai uh, obviously is um, built on a, a level of uh, exploitation, um, there's a lot of people that would have uh, a lot of benefit that um, yeah. they wouldn't otherwise. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Philippines, hard. Pakistan. Mm. Philippines um, especially, yeah. Well, a lot of all of those countries. I mean, obviously, uh, there's lots of cases of the you know labourers working under terrible conditions and having their passports taken. Apparently, uh, um, again, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, they're, they're the stories. Um, so yeah, it's um, but it was a wacky place to live anyway. Like it's it's weird. What sort of stuff is weird about it? It's like. The the Madinat is like this big kind of shopping restaurant um, complex, and it's made to look like an old souk, like um, like I've been to in actually in Morocco or um, Egypt or somewhere like that. But it's fiberglass. Like you go up and it's it's like theme park. The whole place is like a theme park. You know, it's um, make make the biggest, make the, the shiniest, make the longest, make the tallest, make it underground, make more islands. You know, it's kind of completely, it's a desert. There's, they um, desalinate water. Um, it's, it's really strange. And, I mean, maybe it sounds, I don't know. After living there, I became much more aware, aware of sustainability. Yeah. It, it was just... Um, there were there would there was like sort of medium strips of I don't know petunias or something like that, and they would all get planted, um, and then after maybe a couple of weeks they would die because it's too damn hot. Yes, yeah, <laughs> not, a, not a place for petunias. Uh, whatever they were, they were delicate, and then they would die, and then somebody would come along, take them up, and replant them again. You know, and there's uh, excess and yes. waste, and you know that's the kind of the nature of the the place. It's 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 interesting, isn't it? Because I've only been I've been through Abu Dhabi briefly, just in a stopover, and it, it's it's interesting watching a place <laughs> that's it's like it's like in those old fables a little bit, where you've got a king who needs to prove his wealth, but it's an entire nation. The thing is that with Dubai, I I think it's less that than. Um, the people of the UAE actually really love the sheikh and they have his pictures on their car, you know, like they have those see-through transfers mm-hmm. of his face plastered and the sons, the sheikh's sons, um, plastered on their, you know, windows and around the place. Because what he's done is he's brought Westerners and um, others uh, alike to make something for the people, which is based on tourism and um to go beyond um, the oil so that there is something there. And all the people, again, um, I believe, all the people, the Emiratis that I met, they have very big homes, they have education provided, they have um, all the benefits that they could uh, wish for, uh, and that's provided by this kind of weird, fake, (laughs) strange sand castle city. (laughs) So... Um, they talk about like making it sustainable in the future that'd be great because they've got the money and then you know if they can build 
underwater um, <laughs> hotels and yes. uh, crazy island. Yeah, things, these are know, fake island hotels. Exactly. Yeah. So they can surely get some great eco engineers and things over there as well. Harness all that solar power. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> it I'm, rains about two days of the year. Yeah, well, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just it's just waiting, waiting to waiting to waiting to be tapped into, hopefully. Um, but I think for now, I think they quite like, at least like sort of on a geopolitical level, I think leveraging oil is advantageous to them. But of course, that's going to shift, I think, as time goes. So while you were living over there in this strange sandcastle city, um, which I really like that as a phrase, um, were you practicing as an artist at all on the side of sort of working or? When I was in Dubai, not so much. My... Um I had, I had a friend who was an artist and I did a few, um, I hung with her while she was working with things. Um, I think what I learnt was uh, working with art direction, um, you're always working to a brief, uh, somebody's impossible budget and, and impossible brief. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I liked the idea of setting my own briefs. So it was after that then I, I came back to Australia and I started studying fine art in when I was in Darwin. Mm-hmm. So that was... That Where was were you studying? At Charles Darwin University yep. I started. And then we um, were trying to decide where in the world we would live. Mm-hmm. Um, and my husband's Irish. Would we go back to Europe or and the economy and everything? We kind of... And I'm from Sydney originally and we were kind of looking at literally at the world map and going, where will we live? Where is not too cold and kind of interesting and close to beaches? And we we landed on Brisbane because it's uh, it just seemed it's a lot funkier than it used to be. Yeah. Um, and you can get coffee now. And uh, <laughs> a new world city. Apparently. As opposed to when I was a teenager and we would come to Brisbane and it was just like a town, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, a Queensland, another Queensland town. But, uh, yeah, it's – and we love it. And your husband, is he from Australia or is he from Europe? I- Irish. Irish. So he's Irish, yeah. So we lived in Ireland uh, in I don't want to say it, the year and make myself sound <laughs> old, but in, in 1998. No yeah, it was when the Celtic tiger um, was sort of at its peak uh, and it was very expensive to live in Ireland and – when I first met him, he was a backpacker and we met in Australia and he um, he said he'd never live anywhere but Ireland. But then we went over there and it was too expensive and he was like, I think actually we'll have a better life in Australia. So we came back here and we've lived other places since. Ireland post-2008 too, I believe, is a little bit. It's it's kind of, yeah, exactly. It's a bit crazy over there as well now. Um, and people... I mean, this is part of sustainability, isn't it? People living within their means, um, their economic and um, ecological yeah. means. <laughs> so uh, it's a bit of a change for a lot of people, especially young people in Ireland. Uh, so it's, I don't want to live there because of lots of reasons. Um, it's too damn cold and hard to get avocados and mangoes and <laughs> alfalfa and pawpaw, <laughs> things mm-hmm. like that. But... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So Brisbane is definitely um, home for a while. So, as as someone who's 
um, traveled a lot and sort of been around and studied art somewhere else um, because um, I think just about everyone else I've spoken to on this podcast has sort of either studied art in Brisbane or, or in Melbourne for the most part. Um, what, how does Brisbane feel to you? Like you were saying, like it, it's changing, it's getting groovier. And I, I agree. And I think, I think we're in this really interesting period right now, um, culturally in Brisbane, but mm. as someone who's sort of seen more of the world and lived in more of the world, um, what, what's your view on where, where Brisbane's at? It's um, also sorry if you could speak a little oh, bit. Into no, it's all good. I think it's interesting um, place creatively because it's still small, um, but which is nice. Uh, it doesn't feel as um, competitive as my experience of places like Melbourne and. Um, Sydney are. Dubai was really interesting because Dubai was the sort of place where everybody could do anything. People invented themselves. Yeah. And I really liked, lots of people found that challenging. Um, I, I experienced people saying I can't stand that side of it um, because people were not always equipped to do what they said they were going to do, but you kind of had lots of opportunity that way. And I feel like it's different, but Brisbane here now, there's lots of opportunity for people to do things. And I think that's um, uh, inspiring uh, for me, certainly. And it's small, but you can go other places, like, you know, as well. Yeah, the Gold Coast is that's you know, it. stone's throw away, that's public it. transport or yeah. by car. Well, I mean, creatively, like, you know, the Northern Rivers up to the Sunshine Coast is all really uh, stunning, beautiful, inspiring landscape anyway, but uh, certainly the, the, the people um, and the kinds of people that are uh, being creative in that whole region all the way up, it's nice. Yeah, and there's, a surpri- there's actually a surprising number of sort of small residency spaces and gallery spaces sort of, yeah dotting that sort of two-hour drive north of here. Yeah, yeah. Lots of regional galleries which are like, you know, have interesting um, sort of a range of stuff going on. So, yeah, I, th- I think that this is, um, it was definitely, I mean, Goma and uh, the whole sort of cultural precinct there at uh, South Bank was definitely a draw card. Mm. When considering would we move <laughs> to Brisbane, I think that's world class. So that's definitely a a big plus. Is there much of that up in in Darwin? Is there anything close? No, there's nothing like that. I mean, there's the the art gallery and museum is um, it, their collection is anthropological more. Uh, I mean, like it has a mix, um, but. Yeah, there's there's a couple of little aries, and it's got a groovy little art scene, but it's very very small. Yes, um, Darwin does. Yeah, and obviously then there's the the indigenous art scene, which yes. is huge um, and amazing. Uh, and there's lots of art centres, indigenous art centres that were you know I visited, and, um, and that's really interesting. Um, 
element of living in the territory. The territory is another mad place altogether. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, it's, I've never been. It's it's so coming from Dubai. It was such a culture shock. I'm Australian, but coming mm-hmm. from Dubai to 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 the territory, um, so different. What was what was different about it? What was the culture shock there as someone from Sydney moving from Dubai to the territory? Um, the the alcohol culture was huge. Is um, whereas there's no alcohol in Dubai, you can or... drink, and and people it like an interesting comparison. Like people drink, but there's a there's a little bar in um uh in Dubai on the Palm called Biddy Bondi, and we went there to meet friends, and it was like you could be in um, a pub in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a match on and there was people with Australia and I don't know, it was South African jerseys on and people were drinking and it was cheering and, you know, that it was a nice vibe. You're looking out at the ocean. It was, but nobody's going to get headbutted at the end of the night. There was no bounces. Like, you know, it's just a different, <laughs> people drink a lot. People work hard and play hard in Dubai, but there there's, you can't go around like, you know, and I'm not saying that violence doesn't happen. And, but, but there's less of a culture of violence. It's not a culture of that, yeah. It's safe. You can leave your mobile phone um, or your handbag sitting open somewhere and walk away and come back and it'll still be there. You know, there's it's a different vibe. And you get to Darwin and there is a lot of drinking everywhere. Um, and, again, I had, you know, I don't. you don't have to cover up in Dubai. You just do it out of respect. But... Um, there was moving to Darwin and people were wearing a lot less. So it was just really noticeable then just these different, um, uh, just just everyday things. Um, so, yeah, that, 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 I mean, the culture of drinking was definitely the big one. Um, again, almost like a respect that was not always present in in Darwin and the Territory. You know, like people are rude to people in shops or, you know, the Indigenous folk are, you know, on the street and somebody will be shouting at them to get lost or they'll be shouting at them to, you know, whatever. Mind business or Yeah, whatever. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, and there's, you know, like it was quite aggressive and it's hot and it was, I don't know, it's just different. Very, very much more um, calm and respectful <laughs> in Dubai, I think. So I think, like, again, um, you know, in territory time, so everyone's a bit slower. And Yeah, yeah, similar to, uh, quote-unquote, island time. Y- yeah, exactly. Um, Whereas, obviously, Dubai is quite a business-oriented exactly. kind of That's show it. up five minutes early. Mm. Mm. Well, the Westerners oh. do. But the um, there's a like a a joke that the um, the Arabic people think we're all obsessed with clocks <laughs> because um, we're always like you know make a time and in yeah in 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 Dubai the Arabic people they 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 say inshallah if Allah wills it yes I'll see you tomorrow inshallah you know it's um, if Allah wills it then I'll, I'll I'll get here and I'm like no 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 I need to have this here by <laughs> two p.m. can it Inshallah. And, they, you know, if family is very important, so if family comes up, then that takes priority. Yeah, So because that's, Allah wills that. That's right. And that's why, you know, they they do drive very fast because 
if they die, that's not up to them. It's right. Allah's will. Right. So, so, so it's it's almost this 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 faith in in fate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's faith in Allah. Faith in faith in Allah. Yeah. 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 And Allah as as an agent of fate. Um, God, I I could I could ask you questions about. Um, <laughs> I thought we were going to talk about art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look. No. I mean. Look. <laughs> Um, yes, yes. Let's, let's transition. So, so I met you earlier this year when you guys came and, um, graced our, our official opening, not the opening launch party, but the, the official opening with your, your drawing blue collaboration with Emma Gardner. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was great. Um, could you describe that work a little bit? Because I feel like it's sort of semi a foundation for what you're doing now. Yeah. So I had, um, through my honours year, I had been working with uh, indigo dyed fabrics and I was doing um, wall-based sculptures. And then for me it was all about the process. And then uh, I realised I wanted to reveal the process because indigo is like magic. It's just yes. amazing. Yeah. And it's this beautiful um, process that then I, I'd made a film at the end of um, the year last year. At the end of your honours year? Yeah. And it was then showing, it was still abstracted. I mean, I, I'm uh, from a painting background, then it, it's always kind of with painting in mind, kind of slips in there. But then, yeah, it was this perf- idea was to perform the process of dyeing with indigo. And Emma had um, done a lot of drawing with textiles and ribbons and um, was working through um, the feminine. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, the it was an in-situ uh, dyeing, revealing process, uh, and she was doing a lovely drawing and it was we wanted to engage the audience a little as well and invite them to participate uh, and so that then transitioned into another performance that I did with Rebecca and Emma Rebecca Evans and yes, yes. we we did that in um, the valley and that was really really lovely and really strange um, yeah, I've got photos here. It's it's in that little booth in Brunswick Street. In the pod, yeah. yeah. So we were um, unpicking indigo dyed fabric, um, drawing into the fabric by undoing it. Right, right, by, um, by pulling threads. Yeah, unpicking and pulling threads. And in a commercial space in this, the valley there, with lots of people walking past, really like curious about what the hell we were doing. Um, so it was, and lots of people come asking us why and how much are we getting paid to do this? And it was, you know, quite laborious what we were doing, very slow and meditative. Um, and the three of us were chatting about labor and, um, uh, value of work and women's work. And it was just really nice. Were you chatting as part of the work or was it just sort of what you felt like talking about while you were doing work that was about that? It, that's, it just, it just, just emerged. Yeah, it just yeah. happened. And the work was called? As we unfold, which again speaks to process, right? Exactly. Um, which I, I I think is kind of what what appealed 
to me at least about your application was this sort of appeal to to process um because i think more and more and more and i'd like you to comment on this and not just to be one of my diatribes um but uh i think more more and more people i've been thinking about this a bit um is that art in a lot of ways is a language um and i think you know the reason you have a lot of people like for instance my dad go into goma and they go a kid could have done that you know that that cliche Hmm. um is because they don't know the language. And I wonder if, and this is where I'd like you to pick up, I wonder if more and more art that sort of engages with process as art and revealing process, you know, Mm. as we unfold, unfolding the process, Mm. um, I wonder if that's ultimately going to help to teach that language to people. I think so. I'm working through it at the moment, exactly. We were on the street in doing this and uh this french guy he came up to me and he was like uh, what is it and i was like well, it's art he goes mm, for sure but uh, what is it <laughs> uh, and i was like well we're kind of bringing our practice into the public instead of being in the studio we're working here he's like mm, that's cool huh? you know it's like then he, he he kind of totally got that and they stood and they watched and they chatted him and his um partner they they chatted about the material. Yeah. And we were unpicking, why don't you sew it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Why are you doing this in what would why, be considered a reverse process? Yeah. Right. And that that's there's value in that. That and question, you mean? All of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that um again, some of the questions we got asked was like, so what are you gonna do with this? We're, but we're doing it. And right. You know, yeah. and but what is it going to be? But this is it, you know. And those kinds of that dialogue is, I think, what you're talking about, um, and value of work. Uh, right, like transcending that idea that that the the product is at the end of the you know manufacturing line. Yes, that definitely, and. Um, <laughs> as much as I would like to um, get paid for, uh, you know, sums for, for all the work that I do, I work harder now than I ever have before for the least amount of money. For sure. So it, and I love it, you know, and I do it anyway. And my husband regularly says, uh, <laughs> why do you have to choose the most laborious, time-consuming and uh, challenging projects? Or, you know, it's... Um, my lounge room has been filled with lots of piles of blue fabric and each piece has been undone and then I'm dying and, and it's repeated dips in the indigo vat um, and that's a process and then I've got to rinse the, the fabric and then I sew the fabric and then I bring the fabric in. So it's all, yeah, it's process. And, and then to talk about that, you're right, like the, the, the dialogue about that, it's changing emphasis of well here's a representation of even though I still deal with representation here's a representation of something that is just an object that I can then exchange or sell or it's yeah it's about it's about what is being done yeah it's it's the the process yeah um what drew you or was it 
Emma primarily who drew you to it. What you drew you to Indigo Dye? Is it is it the intensity of it? Is it sort of that still today, like for instance, um, over in sort of Thailand and Vietnam, it's still sort of dyed in exactly the way that you guys did it when you did it here. Um, and by the way, I once my mom loved it because she took us through Vietnam a few years ago, and we went to one of the Indigo Dyeing villages and. Yeah, it's just, it's just astounding. And the process being repeated here in pretty much the same way. Indigo. So this is like, I'm going to go round in circles a little bit, but um, years ago, somebody who didn't really understand the chemical process of it, and I only know now because I've researched it a little bit, but um, they said it's magic. And it's, it was considered magic and, and alchemical for a long time because the plant is actually insoluble. Um, and so it has to um, ferment, the leaves dry and ferment and then undergo this double chemical process. So some point in time, um, some urine and some ash have mixed together to create an alkaline situation where these plants have dried and gone into fabric and this magical kind of thing has emerged where it's turned blue um and i think that's really really interesting it's also happened all around the world so there are um this history of from the middle east to um, africa across asia it's mostly subtropical plant but there are varieties that grow in temperate climates as well so and then then it gets really interesting because it's this material plant, organic matter, that only exists because of human intervention, um, that exists all around the world, has global traditions, and has been this journey of uh, being popular only amongst royals from African tribes through to Europeans, um, and trade, slave trade, globalisation, delocalisation, colonisation, and then became a synthetic um, ver- well, so the, a synthetic version was, and now the indigo, yes, there is um, traditions of it still and areas in China um, and in Africa and uh, Asia, di- different countries that, that still uh, do it the traditional way. But denim was all used to be um, indigo, indigo and yeah. now it's synthetic indigo, so it's different. So I just think that then that democratisation of <laughs> indigo I just think it's a really good story. It's a really good device for talking about labor now, itself. Everything. Yeah. Now and and objects, subject and object, and and sustainability, which is um, you know important mm. for everybody. Uh, is ind- is the indigo plant itself able to be sustainably produced? Like, are there any sort of like obviously there are probably advantages to synthetic indigo, but of also disadvantages. Yeah, there's the chemicals in the synthetic synthetic indigo. Uh, look again, sustainable sustainably produced depending on how much and you know, in the current climate of clothes wastage, probably not. Yeah. But you couldn't have every top shop pair of jeans be indigo dyed. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So and and that's the thing, but but um taking consideration of that slower way of, of doing things, a slower way of working, um, is, 
I think is 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 a great aim. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's that's really important to me at the moment, and, and it's part of this work. Yeah, um, which is a lovely transition. Um, tell me and us, the viewer, um, the listener, um, what are what are you working on, sort of during this residency? It's 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 an extension of everything that we've talked up to this point. So yeah. So this work is um, lots of salvaged materials, uh, clothes, um, household textiles like there's sheets, there's pillowcases, tea towel, tablecloths. They're all things that um, are, have been unwanted and I've selected things that as well are... Um, a little bit damaged, uh, thinking about waste and consumption um, and being in, you know, thrift shops, which I like anyway. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff there that is really good quality, which is, you know, shocking and, and surprising. But there's a lot of things then I didn't want to take those things because somebody can use those and also then the money can go. Um, but I took things that, the thrift shop near me actually has a big thing of um, free stuff yeah. because uh, they're just – the elastic's gone or – So the one on Wyndham Road? No, not no. that one. Yeah. Um, it's on Belmont Road. Okay. But, uh, yeah, they, they – Local thrift shop knowledge, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to give it away. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but I mean, the, the stuff that they – is in that free stuff, it's usually like, you know, chipped cups and, like I said, they're, they're sheets that the elastic is gone or it's a, there's a hole or a stain or things like that. For my purposes, I've taken them then and um, unpicked them or um, opened them up and dyed them uh, blue, uh, which is the colour of space. And so I'm playing with um, landscape here in this work uh, in terms of the term aesthetic perspective, mm -hmm. which is when you look at a landscape in a painting and it gets lighter and shades of blue towards the back yep. to give the idea of perspective. And when you look at a, a mountain range even... Yeah, that sort of depth as the light refracts. That's it, exactly. And it's blue um, because space, the most abstract parts of nature are blue, which mm -hmm. is sky. They're not really blue. No, it's the way light plays. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I, like, I, find, I, th I think, again, um, I'm a bit mad about blue because um, indigo is so beautiful and amazing in its whole story. And then blue is so abstract and also beautiful uh, and interesting. So this work then is playing with all those elements and trying to bring a... Um, a space that you can move into uh, and immerse yourself in all these elements and objects that could be in landfill um, and are not and are reused and recycled uh, to create a landscape, immersive space landscape. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying yeah. words. No, 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 no. And, and I'm just staring at you until you run out. Um, uh, interviewer 101. Um, 
Yeah, so so it's it's ultimately because um, I'll do it uh, in the intro of the podcast. I'll describe sort of the physical characteristics of the room, so the the, the listener already knows. Um, but essentially, you're creating a space where, in the final sort of showcased version, you'll be able to move through it, and you'll be able to move through that 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 range of blues. Yeah, and um, yes, there's. I don't know if this, I want this in the interview, but I want to create a soundscape as well, mm-hmm. um, and I'm working on that. But the whether it ends up, in... it's exactly the, the the senses. So it's so that when you step into it, there's the senses are triggering. Um, my husband's doing the Arduino stuff. I've, that's not my department at all. I can't. I've tried to to do it, and he's taken over. So it's just um, getting that um, coding. Yeah getting each stage to kind of recognize the movement and then trigger the sound Mm -hmm. using senses exactly so that then there'll be a soundscape in there as well Um, look and and even even if it doesn't end up in there the intention is is interesting um the 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 soundscape is meant to again um include the audience because I I find this obviously engaging, yeah. <laughs> and and the idea that all these um, objects, people, I mean, you, you can smell other people on all these like items of clothing. There's mothballs, deodorant, you know, like uh, that thrift shoppy kind of blend of smells, uh, and you can smell the indigo, and so there's there's lots of layers of process from. Um, journeys and connections and that's one of the things the connections and entanglements between process and people and And sort of the lived experience of objects which you've then um, indigoed exactly indigo and all those uh, original objects yeah a tea towel or a um, a pair of pants (laughs) and um there's a wedding dress is there? <laughs> I see. I, I haven't. It's parts of a wedding dress, anyway. I'm going to have a lovely look um, <laughs> when we're done. So the uh, the soundscape will is it sort of vox pops? Is it mostly music based, or is no? It... It's process sounds. Mm-hmm. So and sounds of what's going space. on when you're well, making it. I've done a couple of. Um, so I was at a residency in June in Ireland. Um, in Kilkenny and it was stunning. It was in yeah. a castle and it was like amazing. I've heard of it, yeah. It was like so beautiful. Um, and while I was there, I was doing a lot of cyanotypes um, of different plants and it was about being present um, and really enjoying the place and the space. And Peter, my husband, did a lot of recording of elements there there's heaps of crows, heaps of birds. There's like this um, old cemetery um, beside the castle. And we sat in there, um, my husband and my daughter and I, and he was recording the trees. They kind of rubbed together and it sounds really spooky and it's really nice. I don't know, like I that was for another work that we then sent to um, Shank Hill. But the, we have lots of bits of... Uh, the process of doing this, watering water sounds, and in my backyard, there's lots of birds. 
Um, I mean, I would have been working here more, but my daughter was sick the last two weeks and it would have been sounds of these crows probably. Yeah, and um, the construction and Construction, side. exactly. Yeah. But it's mostly from my backyard. Um, uh, yeah, and so that there's also there's some um, – because I was playing with space and thinking about air and space, we've got some um, open source sounds from NASA – they're yep. literally <laughs> um, the sound of space uh, recordings. So I'm not sure if they're going to be part of this iteration, but but it's part of what you're looking at. Exactly. It'll be. It may be in the next iteration. So yeah, wonderful. Yeah. But so that interactivity and um, moving through the space um, and the affect. And affectation. I, I don't know. There's, that's kind of what I'm working through at the moment. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so speaking of, I guess, next iteration and sort of landing the interview, um, after sort of you're done at House Conspiracy in a couple of weeks, um, what's next? Um, well, I've got lots of uh, sketches of stuff that I'm kind of working through um, and I've got, I'm not sure, <laughs> I've got lots of writing to do. I'm mm -hmm. doing the doctorate at, at the moment yep. as well. At QCA. At QCA, yeah. So I've got lots of writing to do um, I'm, and I'm reading about um, magic realism and um, new materialism and uh, it's really interesting. <laughs> Wonderful. Magic realism as a, as a literary tradition or...? Because I'm talking about alchemy mm -hmm. um, and um, new materialism, the uh, new materialism, the idea of speculative realism has come in and I'm, I'm kind of talking about magic and alchemy uh, and then, well, I'm reading about it yet. <laughs> so uh, I just thought that, that interesting, the idea of magic realism, like as a... a as a literary um, concept, is, mm. is it's, it's, it's curious because new materialism is trying to one of the premises is that is changing language around um, objects, nature, and us, and relationships and connectivity um, and entanglements, and so that idea of magic and so representing something fantastic or uh, unreal in a realistic way, I just think it's curious. And going back to that sort of old idea that indigo itself was was magic exactly. is a really nice tie together. That's it. Great. Well, thank you so much. This is this has been really interesting. I know I know we spent about you know the first third of the podcast talking about uh, <laughs> other <laughs> about other things but but um you know i i like i like the idea of using these as as a as a resource for people to get to know you and for you to be able to point people um to where your life has been um to point people um elsewhere um i know your website is uh .com. Um, anywhere else people should look for you? Anything, anything yeah. you've got coming up? Um, there's a couple of things, but they're not locked in yet. Cool. So just Let's keep an eye out. <laughs> keep, keep an eye out. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah.
Thank you. The House Conspiracy Podcast is produced at House Conspiracy by me, Jonathan O'Brien, and Tyler William Morrison. Mixing and editing by Tyler William Morrison. And music by the Reverend Isha Ramdas. If you'd like to support House Conspiracy, you can do so at houseconspiracy.org donate, and you can learn more about what we offer here at houseconspiracy.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>